What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to The Guest Show. Today's guest is J.L. Holdsworth. You may or may not know who J.L. is, but uh, he lifts more than you. At least he used to. So J.L. is a guy who's deadlifted over 800 pounds, squatted close to 1,000. I don't think he hit 1,000, but that that doesn't really matter. Um, Bench pressed over 700 pounds. We're talking about a really strong dude, and he has not deadlifted more than 315 pounds since he competed. Not because he can't, because he doesn't want to. On this episode, we're going to get into why that is. We're going to talk about how the nervous system can be best managed to allow you to perform your best, to reduce pain, and to start to improve your athletic performance. We talk about JL's experience as a college athlete and how he went from the kind of athlete that anyone who lifts weights kind of wants to be to the kind of coach who anybody who's a coach wants to be and the way he's influencing the strength and conditioning world by adding to what is necessary in that world by understanding that strength and conditioning are actually just the top of the pyramid of what happens in a strength and conditioning environment that there's mindset involved that there's breath work involved that there's all kinds of body work involved flexibility mobility the things that we talk about at active life all the time he's changing the landscape and i think that We went on a really fun ride on this podcast. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to want to follow JL. Uh, We'll wrap it there. Let's just get you to JL for the show. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new Active Life Enhanced Assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client. And we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And the honest answer is always it depends and we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead and Check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. JL, welcome, my man. Thanks for having me, brother. It's great to be on with you, man. Can't wait. Can't wait for the conversation. Well, you know, it's funny. We had had a conversation, what, like two, three weeks ago? And we probably should have recorded that one just for some audio clips. Right. Yeah, for sure. But that that was like getting to know you. And the last thing I wanted to do is be like, hey, by the way, would it be cool if I recorded this conversation so we can get some audio clips? Knowing you now? Wouldn't have been a problem, but no. you know, not going to put that out there. So some brief background on you is I, I don't need you to go through the, I deadlifted this much weight. I bench right, yeah, this yeah. much weight. JL was a really strong dude. World record holder in your weight class. Yes. For deadlift, if I'm not mistaken yep. at a certain point, yep. uh, just give him some, some information about the, I was an athlete. Now I'm more of a coach and how that kind of came to be. Yeah. So 
you know, obviously we, we had a long conversation a couple of weeks ago and, and got to know each other well. And for me, I think it really comes down to, you know, grew up as an athlete. And the, the most significant part of that wasn't necessarily being an athlete. It was the way I grew up was complete chaos. And so, you know, we moved about 11 times from, you know, first grade to ninth grade. I went to different schools in sixth, seventh, eighth and ninth grade. And so it was just constant chaos you know, went through high school, played college football, uh, got done with college football, you know, always had, you know, want to play in the NFL, uh, ended up having seven knee surgeries through college football uh, from a skiing accident. Uh, really? and so, yeah, that was my first lesson in ego. When, when, when the, when the attractive, when you're 18 years old and the attractive girl at the ski counter says, what level uh, skier are you? And you go, expert. And I've been skiing, you know, two times in my life, but I wasn't going to admit that. So she tied my binding so tight. They didn't break loose when I fell on the moguls. And so that's, that was my first big ego lesson. Uh, And so, yeah, no, it's, (laughs) it was a big lesson. My second big ego lesson was when someone blocks you in with a car, uh, don't try to pick it up and move it because that's how I tore my bicep off. So there's, uh, so, so really the whole, the whole piece of, of my life has been a lot of ego lessons and I don't tend, I did not tend to learn them quickly. And so I went from college football to strength conditioning coach at university of Kentucky, found out about powerlifting as a sport, wanted to still compete, did my first powerlifting meet, uh, won the meet. I totaled 2160 in my first meet got invited. Uh, all the guys from West side were there, uh, at the meet. I, I beat everybody. Louie invited me to train at West side. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I made a decision, you know, get out of collegiate strength conditioning, go to West side, set some world records, win some world championships. And then in 2004, uh, I, I learned another ego lesson. I was spotting 1100 pounds and herniated L5 S1. Um, and it took me from, I was at the time I had the fourth highest total in the world all time. And for those who don't know total, it's the combination of your squat, bench, and deadlift. Add those together, you get the total number. And, uh, you know, at that time, I had the fourth highest total in the world all time. And uh, the next day, I woke up, and I couldn't put my own underwear on, and my roommate had to help me. So uh, it was a very humbling experience. I think, you know, at at that time, that injury was awful. There was tons of depression. I mean, it, it was bad mentally more than physically. But the person that I was up till that point completely changed because of that experience. And I don't believe I'd be the person I was today if I had not gone through that. And so, uh, you know, fast forward, get back on the platform, win a world championship in 2014, really decided at that point, okay, I've done what I need to do in powerlifting. I proved I could get back on the platform at the highest level. Now I'm going to focus on business. And so then all my focus became business and growing the spot athletics, uh, which is a private fitness facility that I have in Columbus. And, uh, you know, we built that to, from, we had a 2000 square foot, small private facility. Uh, and then when I decided in 2014 to focus on business by 2017, we had two 20,000 square foot locations. And so, yeah, so we, we scaled that, uh, you know, really quickly, uh, more quickly than I understood I was ready for, but Mm -hmm. you you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and then in 2016, when we were building out, uh, the bigger facilities, uh, I went and learned, uh, essentially a, a system that, that would change my life, my path, 
the way I view everything in the world uh, completely shifted. And, you know, I co-founded Reflexive Performance Reset in, in 2016. And really that's become my passion is that modern medicine does not exist. There's a huge hole in modern medicine. I think most people recognize it inherently. There's a, a overall feeling. However, if you think about everybody here, we all learned you think with your brain and you move with your muscles. We all learned that. That's our entire medical system built on that model as the foundation. A cadaver has a brain and it has muscles. Cadaver can't think or move. So the foundation of our medical system is built on a flawed premise. And our nervous system is what initiates all thought and movement. And what regulates how well our nervous system can do those tasks is our global neurological sequence. And that is the foundation of all mental and physical performance. And, and really teaching that and getting that out into the world, that's really become my passion. That's it's where I spend my time uh, at this point. You know, I love the spot athletics, but it's been this crazy piece from athlete, you know, college athlete to, to world champion powerlifter to I can't put my underwear on. I got to learn how to get better. Then it's now I'm going to be a business owner. And then it's okay. Now I, it's a completely different piece. And now it's education and it's traveling. So there's, there's been so many changes for me. And I, I think the common thread among all of that is I love mastery. I love, you know, we talked about this. One of my, my biggest philosophies in life is I want my knowledge to be an inch wide and a mile deep. Mm-hmm not a mile wide. Yeah. So I have a lot of questions that come up from those, those, that intro that you gave yourself and some of them are really simple and kind of funny. Other ones I want to really dig into. <laughs> the first one is, did the person whose car you were trying to lift and move, see you trying to lift and move their car? No. So the, the irony of it, it was one week before I was competing in the Mighty Mitts competition, which is a competition on the maids that used to be on the main stage of the Arnold Fitness Classic. So you've got, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people watching this competition. It's on the main stage at the Arnold Fitness Classic, and it's to see who has the strongest grip in the world. And so it was an invite deal. There was actually good prize money for a strength event. And I'd been training, training was going amazing. So I don't know if you're familiar with what a Thomas inch dumbbell is, but uh, probably most of your listeners are not. It's, it's basically a solid dumbbell that is made of cast iron and the handle of the dumbbell is the size of a Coke can and it's 172 and a half pounds. And I have one in each of my locate. Yeah. It's so <laughs> if people look at it and they're like, Oh, and I'll tell you, I've, I've had a lot of college NFL. I've had one person ever walk in the gym and be able to pick it up. And they were six, seven and their hands could wrap around the entire handle. Right. And uh, other than that, I'm the only person who pick it up. And, you know, at first when I did it, I could pick it up. It's like, Oh, I'm pretty good at this. By the time I was ready for that competition, I could farmers walk one in each hand for about 25 yards, which, which is hard. Picking it up is elite that is there's few people in the world who can do that. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to do so well. And I picked this car up and literally, and so I looked, so 
I had looked everywhere for this person and they were only blocking me in by about six inches. So it wasn't, I wasn't, you know, walking the car around. It was just literally, I just have to pick it up and just scoot it out of the way enough. Mm -hmm. And I literally, as soon as it broke the, the ground, my bicep went boom and just rolled up my arm. And so I dropped the car, I'm jumping around, you know, cussing like a sailor and, uh, the first thing I did, so, so that happens to most people. What do you think the first thing you do is, or, or for first thing most people would do? Uh, tear the, the you're talking to tear their bicep? Just rolls up the arm. What do most people do? Go into urgent care. I, I called my doctor, but it was a different conversation. Mm-hmm. I called him and I said, so Eric, I said, uh, I just ripped my bicep off. Uh, you know, I'm competing this weekend. Can I still compete? Mm-hmm. And he says, are you sure it's torn off? For sure. He goes, well, yeah, you can't tear it any worse. I said, thanks. That's all I needed to know. So I competed that that weekend in the event. I wrapped it tight. It Mm -hmm. killed. I obviously didn't win because biceps kind of important in grip. And uh, although I'm very proud, I did not come in last. All right. (laughs) What what kind of a car was it, by the way? Like, are we talking about you picked up a Fiat or we like you came outside and there was an Escalade and you're like, I got to move this. No, no, no. (laughs) I I would not have attempted an Escalade. It it was just a small two door sedan. I don't don't remember. All I remember. I don't remember what it was white. That's all I remember. Cause literally when it popped off, I could, I was just looking at the white trunk and, and I, it, that was, that was what I remember. I'm just, I'm just it. thinking about what you must know about yourself and your capacity to be able to walk outside and be like, oh, there's a car in the way. I'm, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to move it. I'm going to pick it up and move it. <laughs> well, to be fair, I did try to find the person who owned it and could not and just wanted to go home. And so I just went, I'm just going to move. So it it wasn't immediate, but I was, I was so worked up Mm -hmm. by the time I was walking around. I I just, I was, and this is how I used to live my life before, you know, reflexive performance reset. And before being able to optimize my global neurological sequence was essentially why I talk about it is your global neurological sequence is two sides, performance and survival. I was always in survival mode. I mean, if someone looked at me funny, I'd punch them in the face. It just, it just was, I was always in survival mode. Like, like the world was trying to kill me. And so I was always punching back cause I didn't want to die. Mm-hmm. And that car was blocking me in. And for me, it's that person's trying to kill me. I want to get out of here. They won't let me. And so I'm going to do whatever I got to do. Yeah. So the next question I have for you is there's, there's a famous clip from the Joe Rogan podcast where he's talking to Robert Oberst. I don't know if you're familiar with this clip. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and Robert, I, I'm not familiar with the clip, but I know. Who, well, so, so Robert Oberst effectively says if, if you're, I'm going to, I'm going to make a mistake about the quote, but I'm going to get the premise right. The only reason to deadlift is to get good at deadlifts is basically what he says. And he's like, and if you don't want to be really good at deadlifts, uh, you shouldn't do them at all because deadlifts are going to be risk reward out of alignment with what your goal is for it. You're a guy who's deadlifted close to, if not, I don't know what your, what your all time top deadlift is. is my best. Deadlift. Yeah. So that's a lot of weight. And you've had herniated discs in your back. You've had injuries. You've had the knee injuries, of course, from the ski slope, but still you've had, you've had those injuries as well. Um, where do you think that risk reward lives? And, and when does somebody stop doing it? I, I've never met an athlete who was like, you know, I'm really happy I wasn't stronger. And at the same time, I've met plenty of athletes who were like, my pursuit of strength injured me off the field. Yeah, I think it's a, 
Wonderful question. And I think now that you say the quote, I know exactly. I remember Mm -hmm. now I remember exactly. And, you know, when that was said, it was it was a big piece where people really got offended. But one of my beliefs is you can't win an emotional argument with logic Mm -hmm. and people have a lot of emotional attachment to different lifts deadlift squat the the whatever clean snatches whatever it is but but they wrap so much of their identity and and so much emotional investment in those lists that they can't look at them from a logical standpoint and to me i don't believe that deadlifting is inherently dangerous i don't believe that people should not do it what i believe is that there? it is wonderful for building a base foundation of strength. Once we start getting past a point, it becomes about deadlifting more weight. And if you're not a power lifter or a strong man, that is simply a, either one, a conscious decision that I don't care if I get hurt, I just want to deadlift a lot, mm-hmm. which if that's your choice, I, I'm okay with that if it's a conscious choice. Or two, you're telling yourself a false narrative that you have to deadlift. So where's the line? To me, it's going to be way lower than most people think. Mm -hmm. In my mind, there can be a body weight ratio with this, obviously. But to me, from a deadlift perspective, where is that point where does it really matter if you deadlift more? Mm -hmm. Honestly, I would say one and a half to two times tops and you there's absolutely no reason that you need to deadlift more. Um, and, and, and honestly, if this is depending on what you're doing, if this is just an average person walking around, I, I would say a base level of strength is if you can just deadlift your body weight, you're freaking gold. Dude, I tell I people, mean, I'm with your gold. I, I tell people all the time, like, look, if your goal is not to deadlift a lot of weight, just for the sake of deadlifting a lot of weight, I think is if you can back squat what you weigh, and you can pull 20% more than that, you're probably going to be strong enough to move through the, the planet. Right? Like, well, so I can, yeah, I can tell you. So I've been training with a friend of mine uh, who he's an attorney. He has a, a bunch of law firms and financial planning firms and it's a very sharp guy. And so we've been training together because we're just good friends and neither one of us want to compete or do anything. So I can tell you from a deadlift perspective, we we had not deadlifted anything over 350, right? And so I weigh, you know, I'm, I'm, my weights, I'm letting my weight come down. Finally, uh, I realized there's no reason for me to walk around at 290 anymore. So mm-hmm. so I'm letting my weight come down. So I weigh probably about 265 right now. And, and my friend probably weighs 250-ish. We never, we never went over 315. Because it's just senseless. There's no, absolutely no reason for us to do that. Mm -hmm. Now, he decided for his birthday that he would like to deadlift. He's never really deadlifted anything heavy. And so he said, okay, you know, 500 pounds is where cool starts. Because if you use big rubber bumper plates, like a lot of people do, you can't put five of them on a bar. Mm -hmm. So, so. 500 is the cool spot because you got to use metal plates to lift it. And so, you know, it's not world-class strength, it's not whatever, but he's lifting a little more now 
just because he, he set that as a goal for sure. However, I told him like, we'll strain a little bit, but we'll never, ever miss a lift. That's cool. My, so, my, my goal when I was, when I was in not power, I was, I was in CrossFit. Yep. But my, my goal at the time was a 3X body weight deadlift. I thought that would be really cool, which, by the way, would not have gotten me to 500 pounds at the time. Uh, yeah. And I got to – I weighed 150. I got to 405, and I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to work hard enough to get any bigger than that. It's just not worth it to me. And so I stopped there. Well, and, and let's – and this is the piece I think people really – have trouble with, but when we're looking at a performance piece and in CrossFit, it, it's performance. Mm -hmm. It is. And, and obviously it's, you know, it's the sport of exercise and there's going to be random pieces. There's going to be running, there's going to be explosive. I mean, it's going to be all over the place. What I can tell you is that when I use that one and a half or two, if you want to be the best athlete possible, and you're spending any time to get stronger after your, you know, it's it varies, but we'll call it one and a half to two, definitely two. You are wasting your time because it's not going to improve your performance a lick. It's probably going to hurt it, to be quite honest with you. It's just going to be for your ego. Unless you're a powerlifter and your sport is to that or a strong man, going at past that one and a half to two is literally a waste of your time. Now keep your strength strong, but th the same piece and this is probably one of my biggest pet peeves is a squat. If you are not a power lifter and let's say in CrossFit, in CrossFit, if your sport demands a certain range of motion, then in your training, you need to hit that range of motion. In powerlifting, that range of motion is determined as parallel, which is the hip joint and the knee joint, you know, parallel. Well, Breaking it or hitting it? It depends on the federation, okay. but, 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 but breaking it for most federations, hitting it for some. So, but you know, in that range, we'll yeah. say, depending on the judging requirements of the federation. So the issue is, is all the research that's been done on the squat, the way all of sports performance judges a squat is 66% complete. Every bit of research, every bit of pieces that are done in the gym are totally missing an entire joint, the ankle. There's three joints involved in the squat, the knees, the ankles, and the hips. And the piece is, is that the, everybody in, in collegiate, professional, high school, I did it for the longest time. I, I in my, At the spot athletics, if someone did not squat to parallel, I said it didn't count because that was my powerlifting standard. It's just a rule of the sport. And so the ridiculous part is if you use parallel and you're not training for a powerlifting meet, it, my goal is in 10 years, the term parallel completely gets erased from any kind of training talk other than powerlifting because it's, it's a sport rule. So to, to let you know how ridiculous this is in the sport of powerlifting, when you bench press, you have to bring it down to your chest it has to pause for one second and you have to get a press command. Then you have to hold it at the top and get a rack command or it does not count. So all these people in gyms, right? I see it all the time. They're ripping on some lady who's squatting or some person, an athlete who's squatting and they're, Oh, they're not parallel. They're not parallel. The, the, I've never seen anybody rip on someone who didn't pause a bench press and wait for a press command and a rack command. 
But you're going to hold this one arbitrary rule of a sport to all of these other people who aren't competing in the sport, but you're not holding the other rules of the sport to those people. How arbitrary and ridiculous is this? The whole piece is that you can, to me, when I look at squatting and I've written a ton of articles that people are interested in reading, I've written a ton of articles about how people have always effed up the squat because the research talks about quarter squat, half squat, half of what? quarter of what you don't get stronger relative to where two joints are. If I lay down flat on the ground, my hip and my knee are parallel, but am I getting stronger? No, it's the joint range of motion through which those joints move that determine how much strength is gained. And so all squatting research has only looked at this arbitrary powerlifting definition and never said there's this much degree range of motion at the ankle, this much at the knee, this much at the hip that generates this result. And so I, in the squat articles I wrote, what I do, which is amazing, is I, I draw someone that's squatting the parallel, or I take a picture of someone squatting the parallel in a wide piloting stance, vertical shins. And I go, does this look good? And of course, it, it's 90 degrees, right? Then what I do is I have them do what we call a sport squat, where there's positive shin angle. And everybody, I look at it, and it looks like by piloting stance, it'd be six inches high. And I say to, I say to the strength coach, does this look good to you? No, that's so high, blah, blah, blah. And literally in the article, what I do is I take that exact same 90 degrees and I just rotate it to account for the ankle, the dorsiflexion. And it's exactly the same angle at the knee. And I said, okay, well, is strength gained by where two joints are arbitrarily in space or the range of motion through which the joint moves? So, because so these, yeah, I want to, I want to, I want to, I think I'm understanding the picture and yep. I want to make sure that I'm getting it right. Yeah. What you effectively did is you said, so we're looking now and we're saying the hip range of motion needs to be here for the rep to be full. Then not even the hip range of motion, just where well, the, the angle. hip and the knee are in relation to each other. That, it's not to say it's full in powerlifting. It has absolutely nothing to do with any joint angles. It's literally where is the hip? Where is the knee? Mm -hmm. Or, or some people like to say, you know, thigh parallel to the ground, however people want to define that, but it's literally where two joints are relative to each other, nothing to do with any kind of joint range of motion. Right. But, but then what you described is in a similar, uh, uh, the same loading, same everything. If we change the ankle angle, the knee angle can stay the same. And now the knee related to the hip is different. Is it, is it, is it no longer a good rep? Got it. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time that a person's range of motion starts with how far could they get passively? Let's not look at somebody, put a bar on their back and say, you didn't get low enough. Here's your drill. Let's look at their hips ability to get to its range of motion. Let's look at their knees ability to get through its range of motion. Let's look at the ankles ability to get through its range of motion. And then let's respect those ranges of motion when somebody starts to do their squat, whether it's an air squat, a front squat, an overhead squat, or a back squat. We're not going to exceed passive ranges of motion when we load without drawing compensation from somewhere else and creating injury. A hundred percent. And I agree with all of that. And, and I think one of the things I've seen in pro sports and college sports, and, and now I think there's a much more awareness built around this is a lot of linemen with big thick hip sockets who couldn't Mm -hmm. literally from a structural standpoint could not squat let's call it you know 
ass grass, whatever term you want to use, you know, butt on ankles, whatever, however you want to define it. Because literally from a passive standpoint, their structures were in the way. Well, then strength coaches are like, you got to get all the way down. You got to get all the way down. So, so here's the thing. You put 405 on the bar. Now those structures can, can get warped and can grind on each other. And you can gain more range of motion by forcing and literally breaking up actual structures in the hip. So a lot of offensive linemen ended up with hip surgery because the, the person who was coaching them made them go past their passive range of motion by by loading to an extreme point where it would just force them down. And that is different than what I'm talking about. Cause what I'm talking about is if I'm standing up and I'm standing with, you know, my, you know, straight, my leg straight, and I literally bend and go down a half of an inch. That is a squat. If I bend my ankles, my knees and my hips, it is a squat. Now, how much range of motion I use is going to depend on my application and what I need to do. Mm-hmm. However, the term parallel does not have a place in that discussion at all because one, it's arbitrary. It only involves two of the three joints in the movement. And two, it is a sporting requirement, nothing to do with the definition of what a squat is. If I go down a half inch, if I go down 10 inches, Whatever. If I go all the way through my full range of passive motion, it just becomes, am I using my full range of motion? And I always say my full range of motion because my full range of motion may be different than your full range of motion. Yeah. Well, and JL, if it, correct me if I'm wrong. I never played lineman. Maybe you could pick that up by the 150 pounds I weighed a few right, years ago. Yeah. Um, if you find yourself in the bottom of a, a normative squat, like the idea that your hips are yeah. below the knee angle, uh, on the field, you're fucked. Well, that, so, and again, that comes back to, so I, before I got into powerlifting, I moved to Colorado Springs. My girlfriend at the time, her sister was training for the Olympics. And so we cleaned in, in, in our college football program, but no one really taught us. And then I moved to Colorado Springs and I'm learning from literally Olympians. And, and so now I'm out there and I, I have access to go to the, the Olympic training center and the, the people I was lifting with at the gym were, were former Olympians. And so now I'm learning all this. Well, what I realized, and I worked hard at, at weightlifting, I wasn't built for it because I did have big, thick hip socks. Now I wasn't a lineman. I was a fullback, but which is basically a lineman okay. who lines up three yards deep. Yeah, and, then and so rams his body yeah, into people. At, at full speed. And I was really good at it. Uh, and so the piece about that was I just, I tried, I tried, I tried. I, I worked on all this mobility, all these pieces. Literally my structure was built to power lift. So, so I worked for months and months and months and I just couldn't get in range of motion that, that would make me a much better weightlifter and other people could just get in those range of motions day one. Now I walked into my first powerlifting meet and I had one of the best totals in the country in my first meet. Mm-hmm. And I went, I, I, I found where I belong. Yeah. Well, and if we look around, if, if we look at sports, the Highland games were created to be rotational, you know, to, to, to operate well above parallel because yeah. of the region that they came from, the athletes who would be performing those sports when, when it started, it, they weren't, they didn't have any, they weren't looking at T no. nation, you know? No, no, no. So it well, was, it, it, it comes down to said principle. And, and if, if people aren't familiar with that principle, it's specific adaptations to impose demands. 
And the the range of motions that I'm going to use on for Highland games or as an offensive lineman, I'm not if like you said, if if my butt is down by my ankles as an offensive lineman, I got problems because I'm about to fall on my my, yes. my butt, right? And <laughs> and so you know, I believe this goes back to the deadlift piece. There's a foundational strength. There's a tensegrity that you need to build. And I think there's a place for full range of motion work in the off season and those pieces. But for us, the way we operate our program at spot athletics with, with our athletes and, and even with our adult clients, to me, the sport squat is a far superior piece for building what I need to do. One, it keeps people safer because their back can remain in a nice neutral spine position much easier. Two, it makes them a shit ton faster and they can jump higher because you maintain the same joint angles. When you run, when you jump, your shin angles, your torso angles, if you're really fast, will remain consistent as you accelerate out. All of these pieces apply to the set principle to get the performance demands. So we use full range of motion squats just for, especially for young athletes. Cause God, kids today's hip mobility is so awful. They just need it. But, and, and we use it in the off season, but as we start actually building the performance, not the foundation, we're, we're going to go to the pieces that give us the big returns for performance. And here's the thing. I, I tell every coach that I consult with every team I'm going, if I walk in and you have a record board and it's got pull-ups and it's, or sorry, if it's got uh, squats, deadlift, bench press, cleans, your look, and you know, this as a business owner, right? I know in my business, we're going to be really good at the, 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 the pieces that I track because whatever I track and we talk about all the time, that's what everyone's going to focus on. Mm-hmm. So when I go into weight room, I go, do you want the best powerlifting team or weightlifting team in the world? Or do you want the, do you want to win on Friday night? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what wins on Friday night? Speed, speed wins. Speed is king. Strength helps you become king, but speed's king. And so to me, I want to see on a record board, 40-yard dashes, 10-meter flies, pro shuttles. And the only strength piece I want on there is pull-ups. Sound like Kurt Hester right now. Dude, (laughs) pull-ups are – but that's it. Pull-ups are – to me, it's a relative measure of your body weight. I can line – athletes up. If I take a a gym full of CrossFit athletes Mm -hmm. and I just, and I just do strict pull-ups with the entire gym, I will tell you who the fastest people are bar none. It will correlate directly. Now, if one person does 10 and another person does 10 and a half or a lot, right. We're going to, but the person who does 10 will be faster than the person who does three every single time. Well, the, the, when, the reason I said you sound like Kurt Hester is when he talks about things like the NFL combine, he's like, why are we, why are we benching at the combine? You know, why, why aren't we doing sled pushes? Why aren't we pushing a sled 10 feet? And, and it's, it just speaks to the relativity of the sport. Like let's do things that are actually applicable. What is a sport squat? So sport squat is looking at the squat from that measure of ankle, knee, hip. And so when I do a sport squat, so to give you the best example, think about base athletic position, right? If you're playing linebacker or you're in basketball and you're just getting in base athletic position, that's the position I play in. So when I sport squat, essentially I'm doing a squat, only I'm allowing my first moves butt back. And then I'm basically going straight up and down. So where I end my, I have good positive shin angle. My knees are at 90 degrees. My hips or my torsos in the exact same angle as my shins. So literally I had a dad who brought a kid in 
uh, who was a linebacker, who the dad powerlifted, knew me from powerlifting, brought him in. And, you know, we're getting ready for the season. We're doing sports squats. And the dad said, you know, Jay, I trust you, but, you know, he's nowhere near to parallel this and that. And so I, I bring the kid over. I said, okay, squat, you know, powerlifting style. So he does. He gets down to the bottom. I said, parallel, that, that's what you want, right? I said, awesome. I said, now jump from there. Kid could, could barely jump, right? So then I said, now do a sports squat. He gets a sports squat. I, he gets to the bottom. I said, awesome. Jump from there. Boom. Springs right up. And then I have him do it again. And he has his arms up like he has a bar on his back. And I said, now drop your arms down. He drops his arms down. I said, is that, what does that look like to you? He goes, his linebacker stance. I go, awesome. Do you want to be a great powerless or a great linebacker? You tell him I can do both, right? I can do, I can, I'm very good at accomplishing both of those things. However, not at the same time. Mm-hmm. You chase two rabbits, you get none. Right. And so, I can focus on making him a great linebacker and sport squat him and do the pieces that apply for said principle, or I can make him a great power lifter. Cause I'm going to tell you when I put 1100 pounds on my back, I was a lot stronger than I was playing college football, but I'm sure it wasn't a better athlete. Right. And that's the piece that people, I think to me, one of the biggest pieces that need to change in our industry. And this is whether it's a sport CrossFit, whatever, if I'm getting re- someone ready for the games, and I consider myself a strength and conditioning coach, then I've got shit twisted. You're a performance coach. At the Spot Athletics, we have a pyramid of athletic development. And that that pyramid, breathing is the base, then sleep, then mindset, then nutrition. You got four layers where we get to any physical quality, then flexibility, then speed, then strength and condition at the tip of the pyramid. Literally the two least important, easiest to build functions mm-hmm. of performance are strength and conditioning, but that's what we call our profession, right? So that record board that I go into that high school coach and they're focused on bench squat deadlift, but they're, they're trying to build football players as a profession we're focused on strength conditioning. It's the name of our profession, but those are the two least important pieces of actually building a better athlete. Yeah, I can get behind that. I have a funny story to tell you, and then I want to get into some neural, yeah. uh, neural, neural why am I, nervous system stuff. I don't know why I stumbled on that. Neurological. Yeah, I was like neurological system. Yeah. Like no, okay, all, all right. of it doesn't matter. Yeah, I just spent a year dissecting yeah. it in a lab, and yeah, 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 it's cool. So, so, <laughs> so the funny story is uh, funny now. Freshman year of college, University of Maryland. I'm walking towards uh, one of my classes. I'm pretty close to the side of a building. And I see this guy fly by, like just sprint past me. And I'm like, whoa, that guy was fast. And I'm looking back and I keep walking. I come around the side of the building. And that's when I met James Lynch, who was the fullback at the time for University of Maryland, because he had just plowed through me chasing that guy. And I was like, I didn't know I could fly. I was, I was in the air. My papers were flying everywhere. My backpack had come off. I was just happy my shoes and my pants were still on. Uh, and, you know, all credit to him, he stopped. And he was like, oh, are you okay? And picked me up by my shirt, like one right, hand, yeah. picked me up, put me back on my feet, and then helped me get the papers together. And I'm like... I, I think I'm good. Yeah. Like the wind was knocked out of me. I didn't bang my head or anything, but that's how I got to meet the fullback at the university of Maryland. So dude, that is literally something you see out of a movie. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know what I mean? It's not 
it, you got that doesn't happen in real life, but it does obviously. Cause yeah. you just, that, that's all. What, why was he chasing the guy? They were, they were just playing around. He was chasing Jafar Williams. who was you. a wide receiver you, on the you. team. You know, I, I, I ended up getting to know these guys because a bunch of my friends played lacrosse and they shared dorms and I'll never, fr- like, this is when I knew, okay, I, I'm not the class of athlete that I thought I was when I came to school because they were having a water fight and EJ Henderson, middle linebacker from Maryland, won the Buckus award, ended up being a first round draft pick of the Vikings, I believe, um, came over and he was filling up one of those buckets that you would fill a keg with, with water. Yeah. And he saw me and he's like, shh, don't, don't tell me. Like, and I'm like, what are you going to do with that? And then he picked it up and he chased it. I'm like, what are you doing? I, I like waddle around a house carrying that thing. And this guy's chasing somebody with a keg case full of water. So that's, I was like, all right, it's a different, it's a different time. Well, and, and this gets to, to the piece I always say, you can't out train God. Right. There is, that is people get it twisted, right? Whether it's a pro athlete, whether it's you're winning the CrossFit games, there is an inherent piece that you can't train. You can, the first thing I ever learned in coaching, this was, I was at Wayne State's downtown Detroit. I, I transferred there from Ferris State University so I could get my exercise science degree. And I took this coaching course and it was awesome. It was just old school coach. He was 80 years old, I've been coaching for, you know, probably 60 years, right? He stands up in front of the class, first day of class, and he goes, most important thing, y'all need to learn about coaching. Mm-hmm. Can't make chick salad out of chick shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so great. Like, he knew the inherent piece. God does 95 to 97% of the work as a performance coach, we do another three to 5%. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we really do. And I know there's some people out there, some huge egos. I made this person. I made that. You may have helped them get better, but God made them, right? I had an athlete who was the greatest athlete I've ever worked with. This kid, six, seven, 260 pounds, running a 10, 500. A freak, not just a freak, but the freak. I, when I was at Kentucky with a kid who was a third overall draft pick in, in the first round, third overall draft to pick. The Jets. Uh, he was what I thought it was a freak, right? He's the third overall pick that, in the draft. Is that Dwayne Robertson? This, yep. Yep. And so that's awesome. You know that. Uh, and so this kid at 17 years old, better athlete. Right. I mean, he's, he's and an amazing kid. Yes, sir. No, sir. Great parents do anything you tell him. So th- that's a special kid. He's going to be, a, he's going to be, he, people will know his name at some point. Mm-hmm. I knew what I was going to help that kid with was going to help him about 3%. Now is that 3% really important at that level? Of course it is. Yeah. But don't get it twisted. That kid was going to be fine if he never walked into the spot athletics. Well, the, the the difference, what you're describing there, JL, is the diminished returns that we tell the average person walking earth they don't need to chase. But if you want to be a professional athlete, diminished returns is where the whole game is played. Well, and, and for us, we 
the primary piece because he had a strength coach at high school was very good and the strength coach actually called me and said this kid needs he's special he needs extra work it was a ton i think i believe in in athleticism the most under under appreciated undervalued under trained is the foot and ankle it is one it's been ignored in all squat research yet it's one third of the joints responsible in performance when you're running when you're lifting it literally is the last piece of your body that connects you to the ground so literally if you have a car with a thousand horsepower and it's the greatest car ever built and it's on ice it doesn't go anywhere Mm -hmm. because the tires the thing that connects it to the ground have to be really good right and so or if it's just on great you know you have two cars one one that's you know kind of average and the other one's a supercar but the supercar has really really crappy tires the average car can beat it Mm-hmm. And this people have ignored this fact. I mean, to me, I think behind breathing, I, I think from a trainability standpoint, it's like I talked about pyramid, we put breathing at the base of it. And uh, I, I think when it comes up to those pieces, speed, flexibility, strength, the ankles in the foot are, are just so overlooked by, by many. Yeah, I, I, I can see why you would say that. And I don't even disagree at all. So I want to get into the nervous system. Yeah. And I want to talk about RPR. And what I would like to get a better understanding of is you, you described that a cadaver has a brain, a cadaver has muscles, and it can't move. Uh, or think. <laughs> what's, or, or do anything. <laughs> or when, think. When, when, I, when I've thought about that, the first thing that pops into my mind, because the way I look at all things is, is cynically, right? Like, let's, let's look at yeah, yeah. what about that doesn't make right, sense, right. and then let's find out how that makes sense. <laughs> It also has an, like it has a nervous system. It's just not functional. And the brain It's like having a computer that's not plugged in. Exactly. So what I'm beginning to believe I understand and I would love your your confirmation or or not is it's the it's the active nervous system that you're describing as opposed to the body doesn't have like the cadaver doesn't have nerves. It doesn't have a spinal cord. Obviously it has those. Correct. Things. So, can- so this, yes, a hundred percent. And I love that clarification. I think that's really important for people, especially people who think at, at a higher intellectual level, it has all. So this is the piece that I believe is such a miss in where we're at. And, and I, I believe where it came from was Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. That was the start of separating the brain and the body, which up until that point in human history, everybody studied the brain and the body as one whole unit. One of my favorite saying is Mensana Corsano, which is a sound mind and a sound body. It's Latin, right? For, for every since the beginning of, of, recorded history the mind and the body have been considered one unit descartes comes along and all of a sudden it's like hey psychology you get the brain and all this and you get the, you cannot separate that and so the next person that, that really put the nail in the coffin for our advancement of understanding how human beings function was einstein and i know that that might shock a lot of people right because he's regarded this super super smart guy and obviously he was however descartes started Einstein put the nail in. Up till that point, most scientists dealt with application. How does a living organism function? And that's how you find out. However, the, the issue with application is, as you know, if you change one tiny variable, 
the piece that you thought can be argued against. And that gets tiresome. However, Einstein went all theory. And the piece about theory is that you can't argue with theory because you can't actually show an example that's wrong. And so instead of studying a live human being, we went to, here's a cadaver. Look, the brain, that's where we think. Look, it has nerves. Everything became structural and theoretical, not application. And so the piece that I'll say is that an active nervous system, I think that's a great distinction. The active nervous system is what initiates all thought and movement. Again, right, the brain has to carry out the function. The muscles have to carry out the function, but it's the nervous system that initiates it. And I think that you obviously are in a place and and a lot of people who are at a high level are in a place where they go, well, yeah, of course, we definitely know that. The piece that's missing in my experience is what I consider the foundation of all mental and physical performance. The piece, the mechanism that determines or regulates how well the nervous system can initiate your thought and movement is your global neurological sequence that or your GNS is, is for short. And your global uh, question about that is, is that, forgive me for not knowing, is that a term that you guys coined or is that a term that is, that is widely used? I just haven't heard it before. You haven't heard it because it is a term that uh, we've coined through the understanding and, and what we do with RPR and, and what we teach. And what you learn with this is that I think, and, and here's a hundred percent. So RPR, obviously one, one of the challenges that we've had is we were taking this concept that there was really no language for mm-hmm. or no understanding. So, so it's taken us some time to be able to, okay, so I could show anybody the results and that was a limiting factor in RPR. I could lay anybody down, test their ab strength, show them some, what RPR is essentially it's self-applied breath and body work. So I could test someone's ab strength or test someone's hip extension strength, show them how, how to do the the breathing. But more importantly, first I would show them the, the body work, which is basically rubbing specific zones in the body in a specific sequence. So I would show them how to do what we call the wake up drills, which is rubbing the, the zones in the sequence. So I'd show them the wake up drills, show them the breathing and literally in less than a minute, their hip extension strength or their ab strength would get 40% stronger because they have the capacity. But the way I look at the GNS, the foundation, it's just a dimmer switch. And so depending on where someone is, that dimmer switch is either going to be turned up more towards performance or down, which to me down is the survival piece. And so you're never all off, right? You're all, as long as you're alive, Mm -hmm. there is a sequence that is running. The question is, is it optimal for your performance? And so to give you uh, an example that I think is, is clear is what that global neurological sequence is, is it is understanding the sequence of what is neurologically initiating and stabilizing hip flexion and hip extension 
And then from there out into the body, the sequence that initiates and stabilizes all the other joint actions. And there is a sequence that is the most high performing, most optimal that allows us to perform and move at our best and also allows us to think at our best. And so this is the piece that I think we struggled to communicate with RPR is that RPR literally competes with nothing that exists. So if you love X system, Y system, it doesn't matter what it is. RPR is this foundation that's actually been missed. RPR, whatever you do, whatever you like to do in your training, RPR literally changes none of it. It just is this foundation that's getting skipped right now. And you do RPR first, then literally do everything you already do. And it makes it better. It doesn't matter if I'm talking about a certain type of warm up, a certain type of system to get more range of motion, whatever it is, you do RPR for it. You set that foundation, you optimize that GNS, and then everything else you already do just works better. And that's where I think. We've struggled to get that message out. People think that, oh, I do this instead of this, or I do this instead. No, because it's working something that you're just literally not addressing right now, it just sets that foundation for everything else to work better. So when I look at RPR, a, a simple, uh, and forgive me if this is minimizing it, a simple way to think about it is it's, it's very much like specific PNF for the nervous system. And what PNF is, if you're listening, you don't know what that is. It's called proprioceptive neurological facilitation, which is when you would take a muscle, for example, and have somebody, you'd stretch it to its max, have them resist you a little bit, have them relax. You can then stretch that muscle a little bit further. Uh, and it's measurable and it's repeatable and you can see it and you can, you can do it every time. I know it's not a direct line from this is this and this is that. It strikes me as very similar though. Yeah. So the analogy I'll give you, so it's what you just use is a neurological methodology and it works, right? Like you said, you can do it, you can repeat it, you can measure it. Mm -hmm. The piece is, is that what makes RPR so different is it's a step before that. So the way that I look at it is if you walk into your house at night and it's completely dark the first thing you do is you flip on the light switch, right? So let's say you walk into a room to use the dimmer switch. If you walk into a room and that dimmer switch is turned all the way down, so there's barely any light, you're going to turn the dimmer switch up first. Well, that dimmer switch is your GNS, your global neurological sequence. It's the global neurological sequence. The wires that connect the dimmer switch to the fixture that is your local nervous system. That's what PNF affects. That's what all these other systems that are affecting the nervous system that are wonderful and definitely get results. Those are the wires that connect the dimmer switch to the fixture. The fixture is the bones, the fascia, the tent, right? Mm -hmm. All those pieces that hold the muscles are the light bulbs. It's what we see doing the work. And so 20 years ago, what we did in the profession was we walked in, the dimmer switch was turned almost off and we said, Let's just change light bulbs because the muscles are what are doing it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we did. Well, you know how inefficient that would be in your house. Well, as a profession, we figured out that's really inefficient to be changing light bulbs. So then what we did is we moved up and we started getting into fascia and all these other pieces. Right. So then we were walking in going, OK, let's mess with the fixture a little bit and then we'll we'll mess with the light bulb. Now, where the best people are, someone like yourself. Hey, 
let's make sure these wires are all working well. Right. And when you start messing with those wires, then you, you affect the fixture, you affect the light bulb, but the foundation starts a dimmer switch with the GNS and that global neurological sequence, it doesn't fix all problems, right? It optimizes the dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. Well, you can optimize that dimmer switch and the, the wires, they still may need something done with the wires. Mm -hmm. You may still need something done with the fixture, you may still need new light bulbs, right? None of those pieces are more important than the other. It's literally just order of operations. <laughs> and I do think about it like the lights in your house. Look, if you don't have a light bulb, turn the dimmer switch up, nothing happens, right? Every single piece in that you have to train, you have to take care of. It's just the piece that is being skipped right now is optimization of the GNS. And that is the piece for me from an education, from a speaking, from a teaching perspective. That's what I'm so passionate about because it's not just more. So I'll give you, I was, I was teaching a clinic and uh, there was a guy, a guy there was super tight hamstrings and he was working with some very good physical therapists. He had physical therapists. Uh, it was, it was a combo facility. Like I, mm -hmm. I believe, you know, you have CrossFit right with, with physical to. therapy. Used to. Yeah, yeah. You used to. And so, uh, so they, they had great physical therapists and they were, they were good. They were working on local nervous system work, all these pieces and string flexibility and, and the entire time been there he'd never been able to get it past about 50 degrees laying on his back prone right awful yeah i spent two minutes with him You're prone or supine sorry supine my okay. bad my bad that was like me saying you still have the gym right yeah it's, <laughs> it's all good it's so all good. uh yeah so, sorry you you know what i meant so so, so laying on his back yeah. laying on his back laying on his back thank yeah. you yes uh and so i was making sure you're paying attention yep. and so, <laughs> got it <laughs> And so laying on his back. And so he, he lifts his leg up. He can't come more than 50 degrees off table. So we, and, and working with great people doing a lot of great local work on, on the neurological level. They're very advanced in their education. However, I spent about three minutes with him showing him how to optimize his global neurological sequence. And I said, okay, let's measure it. And his hamstring, his leg went to 90 degrees. Cool. And and that's the piece. Now, I'm not saying that that happens all the time by any means, because look, again, if you turn that dimmer switch up, but part of the reason he was able to get such a big result right away was because he had been doing the work on the wires, on the fixtures, on the muscles right. that was already there. Those were great. It was just that dimmer switch just needed turned up. Once we turned up, he got a huge result. If he hadn't been doing the other work and we turn the dimmer switch up, maybe, you know, maybe doesn't change that much. Mm -hmm. well, and I think that's the piece that, that maybe we haven't communicated well, or, or I think people have not, and, and I'm going to give it, I'm going to put it on me because if people aren't understanding it, that means I'm not explaining it. Well. well, I think it's not that you're not explaining it. Well, I think that there's a few things going on. I think one of them is not enough people have heard of it yet and have the opportunity to ask the questions that they need to ask to better understand it. And you can't answer questions before people ask them. I mean, you can, but it's, it's, it's much harder. Not if they don't hear it, right? It's a tree falls in the woods. Does anyone hear it? Right. Uh, the way it sounds to me that the thing that, I mean, if, if I'm, uh, my intention is not to coach you right now. My thought though is as, as somebody who's listening to this with both a clinical background and a training background and a business background is even if it's much more than this, describing it as a diagnostic test or a diagnostic tool um, would be really appealing 
because it's it's it gets me in the door it, and then it allows me to right. understand what more is there because it's what you described earlier about the athlete who had all of the training he had worked on the hamstring muscle he'd probably been working on motor control he'd been working on hip mobility ankle mo- he'd been doing all of that stuff of yep. but effectively nobody looked and said let's just see if your nervous system is prepared to allow you to do this right now your system allows that person to say Oh, well, the issue here is that your nervous system is actually self-inhibiting your ability to move through the range of motion that you're trying to express. We need to make the following changes to the way that your nervous system is functioning right now, which will then allow for greater expression. And now all the work you did to the wires and the fixture are going to really be valuable. Well, and I think the important part in that is is making that distinction of the global neurological sequence versus the nervous system. It's all one, right? Mm -hmm. You need the dimmer switch, the wires, but that local nervous system is where the highest level practitioners are really focusing a lot of energy and getting great results. Of course they are, because if you you adjust the wires and connect wires that aren't connected, man, you get good results. Mm -hmm. And the other piece is some people's dimmer switches Right. They might already be. So let's say if it's a one to 10 on the dimmer switch, because it's never off unless you're dead. Some people's dimmer switch, that guy with the hamstring, his dimmer switch might have been set on two. Mm-hmm. And so when we optimize his and let's say his dimmer switch went to eight, these huge results opened up because of the other work down the chain. Well, if someone's dimmer switch is just automatically set on six or seven and now you do the local neurological work and you work the wires. Holy crap. The results are insane. This is what I'm saying is that without understanding the foundation, this GNS and, and how to optimize and what it looks like and how to test through it. That's a diagnosis. Well, so here's the piece when you talk about that, answer. our level one, we teach, we, we kind of say level one gives you a shotgun. Level two makes you a sniper. Level one isn't a diagnostic piece. Level one is the understanding of the global neurological sequence and then the breathing and the wake up drills, the self-applied breath and body work, because RPR is about being self-applied. So it's, I go into an NFL team, I teach the strength staff and they show the entire team how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so that's, what's cool about this at the spot athletics, right? We have a lot of group training, our code, the way we start every single session, spot athletics, 10 years old, 80 years old, you come in. We do a baseline of where your body is. So you do two, three squats, two, three toe touches. Let's say it's lower body day. Uh, And so you do that just to feel where your body's at. We run through RPR, the self-applied breath and body work. Takes about three, four minutes, depending on what day we're doing. Then we have them do two, three squats, two, three toe touches. And then every single time without fail, they feel exponentially better. And so now we do that because we want them to understand that now we've set that foundation. Now we're in a much better place to go through the rest of our training. Have you ever done something like tested somebody's one rep max? I know, I know one rep max is not an ideal way to do it because there's. Oh no, dude, every power lifter I've ever. So the first person that I worked with on this. So there's, there's kind of progression, right? RPRs all self apply. Well, there's progression where there's hands-on work Mm -hmm. where I can do it with somebody, but that's not RPR. It's it's something different. The first time I did that with a power lifter is my friend, Dave Tate, who is powerless for a million years, had a million injuries. When I started learning all 
Davis and go, I, I think I got something that could help you, man, because this is working on something that I've never actually even seen worked on. And so he came in, I, I work on him. He goes in squats and he was supposed to do something light because Sunday he had set a 10 pound PR with a certain bar. And right, so he's got time before he hits that again. And so he was the first PR he'd hit in three years. He was super pumped. And so what are you going to do today? He's all light squats. This and that. He calls me that night. I don't even know if I've ever heard him so excited. I said, what's, what's going on? He goes, dude, what the hell did he, he goes? I don't even know. So he started warming up, started lights. He goes, feels good. So he'd done 610 was the 10 PR in PR first PR in, in three years that night. He worked up and hit 700 pounds, a 90 pound PR that day. And what exercise? Squat increases squat by 90 pounds. Okay. And that's, and, and I've, now is that the most extreme case I've seen for sure? But every single power lifter I've ever worked on sets a PR. Well, every the, single one. What you're describing though, somebody like Dave Tate, people don't know who he is. That that's that he's a world-class guy. So, yeah. so now his fixtures, his wires, they've been, they're not, disconnected they're they're not only connected they're fine-tuned he's got the right cabling he's got like he bought the premium fixture (laughs) right 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 this ain't home depot this is right (laughs) Right. he had some guy blow glass for him yeah some amish people yeah (laughs) Yeah. so everything else was there but the dimmers down he's yeah so it makes sense that he would be able to see yeah and that was and that was a thing for dave that was so key was you know he's worked because of what he's done and and his you know companies that he started like he so many people have worked with him and they've worked on the fixtures and the muscles and the wires they've done all that work and he's done all that other work that's why i'm saying this is the foundation it's not more important it's just the foundation and because of his injury history his dimmer switch was on point one mm-hmm. and so once we optimized that it was insane to the point where when he would unwrap heavyweights he would shake uncontrollably shake when you unrack him oh yeah it was crazy i mean scary scary that day he sent me the video with 700 pounds he it was concrete taken out for the first time in his life which was insane i i couldn't believe what i was watching that's really cool and and so this is the P and that's why I try to tell people, you know, a lot of times when people, you know, talk to me about RPR and ask questions, you know, they, well, how does it fit in with this? And how does it compare to this? And, and the answer is it doesn't fit in with that. It doesn't compare with this. It's what you do to make what you're already doing work better. And, well, and that's the piece. Right. It's, 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 it's the, um, I follow. I was going to try to think of an analogy. I didn't have one. Well, but you know, and the cool part is you can do it yourself and it takes about four minutes. So it's, it's not, you know what I mean? It's not like, Hey, here's this cool thing. It takes 87 hours to do. So right. have fun. And you're right? probably, and you're probably doing it wrong and it'll take you seven years to get good at it. No, it's not that. No, our 10 year old. Here's, this is how, so again, is the science behind it very complicated? Obviously. I mean, once you understand the GNS at a fine level, I was at, you know, we were talking before we got on call, I was at an event last night. Uh, it was an overnight with a group that I'm in. And, you know, I was talking with some of the GNS people. And these are not fitness people. These are business owners. I mean, manufacturing, all different types of business owners. And uh, it's a small group. We're very close. And I was talking about the GNS piece and, and how, once you understand it, you can really start to understand people's behavior and why they behave in a certain way 
based on the sequence, which drives look, as a species. I know we, we are very smart and we have video and we're in different states and we're talking, which is amazing. And satellites at the end of the day, animals hardwired to survive. And that's what drives us. Mm-hmm. And so our neurological, see that GNS drives not only how well we move, but it drives how well we think and our behavior. So I can actually now at this point, understanding this, say, oh, I see this person. And this is what's changed me so much as a person is I've realized the way people behave is driven by subconscious, that pattern their nervous system is running, that sequence. So it allows me a lot more compassion for the way people are being because I now understand that it isn't a conscious choice to be that way. Mm-hmm. And, and the way I look at it is essentially our, our global neurological sequence, our nervous system as a whole mm-hmm. is like a herd of buffalo. And our brain, like the, our, our conscious mind is basically that cowboy who's herding the buffalo, right? And trying to take them to, you know, wherever you take buffalo. And so, uh, so that cowboy, <laughs> that conscious mind, it can herd the buffalo and get them to go exactly where they want as long as the herd of buffalo aren't in a stampede. Then the herd of buffalo is going to go wherever it doesn't matter what the cowboy says, it doesn't matter what the conscious mind tries to have you do. The herd of buffalo is going where the herd of buffalo is going. And the piece about that is, is that everybody's, we'll call it herd of buffalo that, that they have. It takes a different level to get that herd into a stampede. So if someone has had a lot of trauma, for me, when I grew up, mom was a gambling addict. We moved all the time. Go to the grocery store, right? Don't cash a check Friday or we can't eat, right? Like there's right, there was a lot of pieces that there's a lot of chaos and in, in other pieces that people might call trauma, right? It's just shit that happened to me, right? It doesn't define who I am, right? It's just a piece of what happened to me. And so for me, my herd of buffalo, if the wind blew, like I said, if someone looked at me funny. That was like the wind blowing and the wind blew and the herd of Buffalo just took off. Mm-hmm. Right. And it didn't matter what the Cowboys said. The herd of Buffalo was, I knew punching people in the face wasn't good. I'm a, I'm a very intelligent individual, but the conscious mind is the intelligence portion, the conscious intelligence, the herd of Buffalo is what's running the show. So when someone would give me a funny look, I would put them to sleep. Mm-hmm. And that was just because I could not, control the herd of Buffalo. Now, because I've been able to optimize my GNS multiple times a day, I'm just calming the herd of Buffalo down, calming the herd of Buffalo down. Right. So when the stiff breeze comes, the herd of Buffalo is just like grazing and doing fine. Whereas before they take off and they're freaking, you know, stampeding some guy's face. <laughs> so I have one last question for you yeah. just to, just, just to respect the clock. Yep, I love it. Um, yeah. When I listened to you on the Team Builder podcast with Hewitt, which by the way, if you if you are listening to this and you want to get more of JL, the Team Builder podcast, I thought was a great episode. I thought you did a great job. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, junk food fitness. Oh my God, dude. It was, it, it, well, it was, it was a phenomenal term. You're, whether, I don't know if anyone's ever told you before, but you're a poet, you know? Thank you. You're welcome. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. I would love for you to talk about 
junk food fitness just so people can hear it from yeah. you on this show and then go listen more about there. I love it. So the whole concept with this started a couple of years ago. And, and honestly, it started with this transition. When people used to come in the spot aesthetics, man, throw a barbell on them, let's start squatting, you know, all these pieces. And people would just leave out of our system because if they weren't at a level, then, then that's not fun to get losses every day. Mm-hmm. No one wants to be on a losing team. And so I started this as my mindset started shift. Your buffaloes get calmed down. I go, man, why aren't we giving people wins every time they come in? And so I started looking at this piece and I started developing and it went into this pyramid of physical fitness. Right. And so it's breathing, you know, sleep, mindset, nutrition, flexibility, strength, conditioning is at the very top of the pyramid. And so what I realized was what I was doing in fitness was I literally either was flipping the pyramid upside down and making conditioning the the piece or the whole pyramid was conditioning. And so the piece is everybody knows that when it comes to nutrition, you've got to eat your fruits and your vegetables. You've got to have, you know, some, if you're vegetarian, but meats and potatoes. And, and then look, is it healthy and okay to have dessert every once in a while? Of course it is. It makes you feel good. It's good for you. The piece is your fruits and vegetables and fitness are what I call PFB pain-free body work. And that might be mobility, flexibility, RPR, all those pieces, neurological, you know, then you're eating potatoes. That's your strength work, right? That's all those pieces in, in the part, like, you know, repetition, you know, whatever hypertrophy, whatever you want to do. And the junk food or the dessert, it is that high intensity, just kill it stuff where you're doing sweat angels on the floor. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and part of your fruits and vegetables is long duration, slow walking, 120 heart rate work. That is wonderful fruits and vegetables. Now it's not sexy, right? No one goes, Oh my God, this raw broccoli is, is so you, you have to try this raw broccoli, <laughs> right? You, no one does that. And, and that's what we tell people when it comes to pathetics is you're paying us because we're going to make you eat your fruits and vegetables. And so what we started doing is we started changing our approach and, and then we said, okay, when people come in, cause what happens? My son's five years old. If I allowed him to eat junk food every day or dessert for every meal, he would for sure. He would. And look at every commercial gym. What do they have? Rose of treadmill. What does everyone do? Go in, run as hard as possible. Right. My five-year-old will eat dessert every time. Why? Because one, it tastes good. Two, it releases a hormone that makes him feel good. And what happens when you work out and you kill yourself it feels like you're doing a lot and it releases a hormone. And the thing is though, if my five-year-old eats junk food every day and I allow that, then he's going to end up with diabetes and cavities. Mm-hmm. So I educate him and don't allow that. I make sure he eats fruits and vegetables and then I allow him to have that dessert. So he's happy and he feels good in fitness. If we are, and I see this all the time, people are just letting people come in and, People don't understand fitness. They're like my five-year-old son. It's not that they're not intelligent. They are just uneducated at to this point. Circumstantial. So they walk in and they go, I want dessert. <laughs> and instead of, right? Like they want it. They, I want to die. I want you to crush me. I want you to kill me. And my five-year-old does that. But because I care about him, because I am invested in his long-term health and development, I don't allow that and I educate him. Now, do I allow him to have some dessert so that he's happy? And, he, you know, of course, because it's good for him. We're not doing that. We're not caring for people in the health and fitness industry. 
many people, I know you do, you're, you're doing it the proper way. Active Life is doing it the proper way. The Spotathetics does it the proper way. And many other people that I have, that our friends are, but the vast majority are not. That person's coming in screaming for junk food. And because it's easy, my, look, I have a 10 year old daughter. If I look, Sean, I, make Sean throw up. I'll give you American girl doll. Guess what, dude? Hardest workout you've ever had in your life. <laughs> right? Yes. So literally our, our profession is delivering fitness that my 10 year old daughter could deliver. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? And so if we really care about people, if we care about a person's long-term health and fitness, we have to say what we, and this is what we say at Spotify and everyone can steal this. Cause I think it makes our world a better place. Everybody walks in and they go, Oh, you know, I want to lose, I lose weight, be toned. Awesome. You know what? We can definitely help you with that. Uh, let me ask you this. If you were the leanest you've ever been in your life, you were ripped, you looked amazing, best you've ever looked, but every morning you woke up and your back hurt so bad and your knees hurt that you could barely walk, would that be okay with you? No. Okay. So what I'm hearing you say is that feeling good is your number one goal and, and looking good is second, but real close right behind it. Is, is that something? Good deal. Yep. Awesome. We can do that. Now, what that means is we're going to we're going to do pain free body work. We're going to do other piece because this is a long term goal. You have your body for the rest of the life. We're going to treat it that way. One hard workout does not make you fit. No more than one healthy meal makes you ripped. And so this whole piece where, where as a profession, we're allowing the, basically the five year old to come in and demand dessert. And we're just going, fuck it. I got money in my pocket. Right. Because mm -hmm. as a parent. If I just let my five-year-old have dessert, is that easy for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No argument, none of my time in education, right? But but would that be an awful parent? Yeah, it's only easy in the moment. And and as a parent, you have that kid forever. And and I the, want clients forever. Right. Well, I, but so what I'm describing is you won't let, you won't do that with your kid. But when people do it with their clients, ultimately they end up with the knee pain, the back pain, whatever it is, and they're like, oh, the person quit. I don't know. Like they just they couldn't hack it anymore. And I it's I think you and I were talking about the idea that boot camps are meant to weed out the weak. That's what that kills me. People are like I got a boot camp. Literally, the whole point of a military boot camp is to weed out the weak and hurt people who aren't strong enough to make it through. Mm -hmm. That's what a boot camp does too for your fitness. Is that a great business model? No. How many people do you meet and they go, and, and obviously maybe not people at your, you know, the facility you used to have and, and with active life, how many people do you meet? Just average person on the street and they go, well, I got hurt working out. Or, you know what? I have to get in better shape before I got work out because I'm not ready to go because last time I went and yeah, I got hurt look, or it was so hard. Plenty. And how is that possible? Well, and, and I was guilty of it. You know, just because I knew better Dude, didn't, didn't mean I, I didn't do it. I, I did it for years. I did it for years. Yeah. I, I I, I'll never forget uh, somebody during the CrossFit Open who we knew didn't have the hip range of motion. She's like, I'm doing the snatches. I'm like, you don't have it. Like, you've never done it in class. We don't let you do it in class because it's not safe for you. And, and you don't – you haven't practiced it. She did it. She was out of work for a week with pain. Uh, so, I mean, we, we – I was just as guilty as anybody listening. I'm not speaking. I know you're not either from the mountaintop saying well, hold you're on, bad. though. There, there, and I'll say this. There's a big difference between – attempting to be the best in the world and sacrificing your health for that goal. Totally. This wasn't that. And, and wanting to just be in shape and look better Yeah. because I have a guy on my staff who's 165 power lifters, multiple world champion, world record type. Pull. I mean, this is a 165 squat, 900 pounds guy for him. We've had this conversation. 
if you can set an all-time world record and you can't walk for two weeks, is that okay with you? Without a doubt, yes. Right. Right. But that that is the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. That is not the people walking into our facilities. Right. It's the Ronnie Coleman documentary. Yes. JL. And if you, yeah, I'm sorry. I love it, man. Yeah. This was great. No, this is, yeah, this is wonderful. We, we could talk forever. Cause I enjoy the conversation. Know, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, I love it. Uh, where can people find you to get more? Uh, the best place, Instagram, you know, at coach underscore JL. That's really where I post uh, most of my pieces. They want to know more about reflexive performance reset. That's reflexiveperformance.com. Uh, and we're, we're constantly updating a lot of this global neurological sequence piece that we talked about today. Here's what I want to tell you. First time I've talked about this on a podcast in, in this way. Thank you. So it's not, it's literally not up on our website yet. And, and what I'll tell you is the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago prompted a lot of me really digging deep and sitting down and saying, okay, I know Sean's a very intelligent person. And when I described pieces to him, I wasn't doing it in a way where he fully understand what I was saying. So I, I'll, I have to thank you tremendously because our conversation really made me pause and sit down and go, I have to be described. If I can't describe this to someone who's as intelligent as Sean and get him to understand where this fits in, then I'm not, I'm not doing my job because I know how much it's helped me and how much it's helped my friends and really thousands. I get emails all the time, but again, thousands, it, it, that's nobody compared to how right. many people it could help if more knew about it. So I, I have to thank you tremendously, man. I really appreciate our conversation, our time together, even though it hasn't been long, it's been very impactful for me. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, we'll keep it going. I love it, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thank you, JL. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the active life podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars. If you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life RX, and Dr. Sean Pastuch on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym, and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now. Time to